0: We're sponsored today by Always Forever Maybe, a new novel from Anika Rose Risi that explores a love that turns toxic. Betts meets Aiden and knows right away the two of them are infinite, but her best friend doesn't agree and finds Aiden possessive, controlling, and needy. As their relationship gets more intense, Betts must decide if Aiden's love is worth the price. You can find Always Forever Maybe wherever you buy books. Very happy to tell you about a podcast I've been a long time fan of. It's Mental Illness Happy Hour. I think a lot of beautiful anonymous fans are gonna click with this, especially if you like the part of me that's been open about mental health. You will really, I think, be fond of and appreciate this podcast. It's a weekly podcast hosted by a comedian named Paul Gilmartin. It consists of interviews with artists, friends, and the occasional doctor. I have been a guest on this podcast. It was one of the early times that I opened up about all my mental health. I would go so far as to say that being on this podcast, Helped me feel comfortable putting this stuff out there in the way that I have. The show is geared towards anyone interested in or affected by depression, addiction, and other mental challenges which are so prevalent in the creative arts. Psychology Today calls the show remarkable and says it normalizes what so many others feel but have been too fearful or ashamed to express. You can find all episodes of Mental Illness Happy Hour one year and older and ad-free only on Stitcher Premium. Go to stitcherpremium.com dot com slash mentalpod. Use promo code stories for a free month of Stitcher Premium. Hello to all my goblin enthusiasts. It's beautiful, an anonymous. One hour, one phone call, no names, no holds barred. I'd rather go
1: one on one. I think it'll be.
0: Hello, everybody. Chris Gethard here, welcoming you to another episode of Beautiful Anonymous, a show where you listen to a guy talk on the phone with other people. It's all about listening around here. It's all about listening, so thank you for listening. I want to say thank you right out of the gate uh, to everybody who I met last weekend. Many, many listeners to the show came out. I had shows in Bloomington, Indiana as part of the Limestone Comedy Festival. Chicago, Illinois as part of the Onion Comedy Festival. And I tell you, I met so many, uh, beautiful anonymous fans. And that always means the world. I mean, I met a couple callers, a couple past callers, leaned over, whispered in my ear, Hey, I called the show. Couldn't believe some of the people I met face to face. They know who they are. And I met a whole lot of listeners. And I thank you guys for listening, coming out. And what I, all of them will tell you, any of them will tell you, if you go in that Facebook group, there's people talk, posting about those shows. They will tell you that I am a, I am much better on the phone in the safety of a private booth that I am having conversations with a hundred people back to back to back a hundred times. But it's really nice to meet everybody. Thanks to one person. Uh, is it cross stitch? One person made me a nice cross stitch of a telephone. I think it's called a cross stitch. I am not on the road this weekend. Next weekend I'm at the helium comedy club, St. Louis, but I will talk about that more closer to the date, but yeah, I'll be in St. Louis soon. Last week's episode. Was charity laundry. We had a, a caller who had had a, a tough past, trying to build a better future. It was a really interesting call. Uh, if you're a member of the Beautiful Anonymous Facebook group, guess what? You go in the discussion thread for that episode. The caller actually sent a message anonymously, and the mods have posted it in the uh, in the discussion thread of that. Just talking about the reaction and, and and thoughts and see, you know, it's always always interesting to hear from a past caller about what it's like to ha- have the public dissect. Things you said off the cuff in the moment while you were just free willing and nervous. But that uh, very thoughtful post he sent over is in there. So go check that out. Thanks to everybody who's a part of that Facebook group. And thanks to the mods who run that group. Not always an easy gig. And I really do appreciate everybody who's a part of it. This week's episode, I gotta say... This was I think probably one of the uh, probably one of my favorites uh, I probably had the most fun I, I felt real chemistry with this color. we were we were joking around I tell you what here's something people don't talk frankly about is money That's not a thing that you hear too many Americans just freely talk about. This person has some real life changes that happen that revolve around money. And, uh, you know, this show often goes dark. Where maybe you might say, oh, this is a person who lost all their money. No, what happens when you go in the other direction? What happens when a lot of your values are rooted in not having money? And then all of a sudden that changes in a big way, a bigger way than you ever see coming. It's a real interesting call. I liked it think you're going to like it, too. Let's everybody go ahead and listen in on the uh, strange, overwhelming world of the Chillionaire.
1: Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello? Hello? Hi.
0: Hi, how's it going?
1: It's going all right. How about you?
0: Uh, that was a very honest response. I can't wait to hear what's behind that. How's it going for me? Let's see. <laughs> Let's see. You can see my voice is blown out a little bit because I tell you, it was my birthday yesterday and uh, me and a whole bunch. Oh. Yeah, it was nice. The big three eight, one one of the big ones. Not one of the big ones. Nice. I went to Medieval Times in New Jersey, which is a restaurant where you watch knights fight while you eat. And I screamed my head off.
1: What Which night were you assigned to
0: love? I was assigned to love the Red Knight. And no spoilers, I was really, I tell you, I was leading the charge to the point where the Green Knight kind of came over and was staring at me in a way that was telling me he really wanted me to shut up and stop taunting him. And, the, <laughs> and then the Red Knight took a very strange, it takes a very strange turn. I haven't been to Medieval Times in a few years. And uh, they have a new storyline that takes a real weird curve. And the Red Knight, it was hard... Uh, it was hard to jeer for him after a certain point, but it was it was a weird night. It was a weird night, but yeah, that's why my voice was a little blown out because I was screaming screaming from my uh, my marbles over at Medieval Times in Lyndhurst, New Jersey. Ever been? Ever been to Medieval Times?
1: I have, and I feel like there's something really funny about the fact that I think that Medieval Times is best designed for kids, but everyone who enjoys it the most seems to be like very adult, <laughs> very, very much so. And I was like... 25 when I went for the first time. I thought it was the best thing ever.
0: I realized that because I grew up in North Jersey and they opened one there in 1990. Last night marks my fifth or sixth time at medieval times. It's too many. That's too many medieval <laughs> times. It's too many times for medieval times.
1: I feel like, yeah, that's, that's, mu- that's extremely impressive, actually. Thank because
0: you. Because you so I've much.
1: heard multiple times that it's, it's like a script that is followed out, right?
0: They changed the script. The script, to my knowledge, was the same from 1990 till the last time I went, probably around 2012. Then last night, the script was very different and very concerning in some ways. And if if anybody else has been there since... I looked it up. They changed the script in 2017. Anybody else who has been there since then, I think, will be reaching out to me on Twitter or in the Facebook group saying, yeah, they really went for it, man. They went for it. I also was telling my wife... (laughs) You know, they have the big lobby afterwards where they sell a lot of kitsch items. And I, I told my wife, I want to start a side business where we sell chimes in a lobby called Medieval Chimes. Uh, That's my new business plan. Just
1: for the pun value?
0: Yeah, once, once, uh, once this podcast craps out. Because the TV show, that thing's on its last legs anyway. Once this podcast craps out, I'm going to be selling chimes out in Lindhurst. That's my new plan, Medieval Chimes. I-
1: I feel like because what I want to talk about is money, kind of. <laughs> oh. Part of me really wants to ask, like, how much money the podcast makes you, but I won't because I know that it's gauche. I won't do it.
0: Whoa. I won't do it. Well, if you're going to – I will tell yeah. you, it makes a lot more than I thought a podcast could make. I did not know how booming of a business podcasts were. Everybody in comedy has had podcasts for years. I stumbled into this one, and then – uh Once it was featured on This American Life, really exploded and it kind of got put in this upper tier. And I tell you, it's my living. It's my living. I I don't know if naming numbers is something I'm comfortable with. I'll say. Yeah, no, no. I will say I make as much on the podcast as I make on a TV show, which I think is pretty shocking.
1: Wow. That's amazing.
0: tells you I make a little more on this than you would think and that TV may be a little less lucrative than you would think.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, that is kind of what I would expect to some degree, just because I feel like media platforms are changing so quickly. TV is a a little bit more of a crapshoot.
0: It is. And I think everybody's trying to figure out um, how people consume TV in 2018, because we've got a lot Mm -hmm. of cord cutters and a lot of people streaming in this world. And it's a tough world to figure out.
1: It is. It sure is.
0: You want to talk about money, which, as you say, touchy topic, (laughs) touchy topic amongst us Americans.
1: It's super touchy. It's extremely touchy. And I realized a couple weeks ago that, you know, I think that we all like to, um, I think, dramatize, like, what's most interesting about us to call in in a show like this. Or even just like you're meeting someone new, like what's most interesting about you think about it. And like, that's kind of what calling into the show asks you to do. And I was just like, you know, the un, maybe the unflattering fact is I think that money is what's most interesting about me. It's not what at the front that I put up wow. um, when I talk to others because it's not, it's not actually, it's not how you make friends, right? Um, but it is, it is really strange, this like weird second world of finance and money that like I think a lot of us are, are afraid to talk about with others.
0: So explain what this means. Explain what this means because, because uh, <laughs> uh, uh, n- not many people say that money is sort of the, uh, the core story that surrounds them. I think, uh, uh, I, I get, yeah, this is interesting. What, what do you mean? What do you mean by that? I don't care. Like, what does that mean?
1: So, yeah, I know that it requires a lot of backstory, but I think so. Like I, um, I grew up in extreme, I think it's for like the country standards, extreme poverty. Um, I'm from a really poor Southwestern state um, and I have a father with schizophrenia who actually, um, I just want to like from the outset say that yes, he has schizophrenia, but he's like pretty high functioning. And a lot of my job now is just like keeping him stable and happy. And you would not guess that he has schizophrenia when he's not having an episode. So just like, I get a little tired of like fighting back against people who like picture a schizophrenic person as like being like someone you can't have a relationship with and it's not like that at all but he has schizophrenia and so when he would um go through really intense episodes my my parents and i would just end up homeless in the southwestern state um when i was really young young enough that like it didn't bother me nor traumatize me because like when you're a kid you don't you don't know you don't know what it means when you're really, really young at all. And my parents are really loving. So it didn't really, yeah. I can't really even label it as like a traumatic thing, to be honest with you. Um, but it was like, it was like a thing that I felt like was in my wheelhouse of like something driving me. You know what I mean? Like there's like, there's those things you like reach back into in yourself to like push you forward, to like go after your dreams and success um and stuff like that and so i was at this really prestigious um music uh conservatory out of my own effort and stuff like that because like this poverty this like world of poverty just like i felt like it was my secret weapon just like wanting to push past so i mean it was very american dream like i wanted to push out of this circumstance and it felt like totally possible and i was doing it and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, a, um, a, a relative I'm not close with at all um, died suddenly and left me everything. And it's, it's changed my life in ways that are very, very strange. And I feel like people don't get to talk about these things. Like I don't have that magical power behind my story anymore at all.
0: Wow. So you went from living like a Steinbeck life. Southwestern poverty, a specific type of poverty that's, that, that is a mm-hmm. p- part of the American story, like the, uh, the Dust Bowl area of the country, to all of a sudden it just flips yep. and it affects your identity. Oh, yeah. Now, you're anonymous. You might be more comfortable. I'm not sure. If you're not, that's fine. Are you comfortable sharing how much money you came into in this sort of like overnight incident or circumstance? Yeah, I was
1: thinking about that a lot while I was on hold. But um, I'm going to try my best to keep myself anonymous and then to a certain degree I think it's okay like I'm starting to um I'm 30 now and this was about eight years that this happened um eight years ago and I'm starting now to realize that like I'm a really honest person and this it's almost like this force I'm I'm being forced to like keep this really huge secret almost um And I'm starting to realize that, like, I'm going to be as anonymous as I can be, but I don't think that even if people look at you differently or if they judge you, that if that's necessarily um, worse than just being honest with yourself. So, yeah, I came into literally a million dollars all at once. So you... (laughs) All at once.
0: So you, you grew up in poverty. Yep. Southwest. Hot, dry, relentless climate. You had a yep. family that was a loving family, but a family that was affected by some mental illness that led to instability. And then overnight, mm-hmm. overnight, a person you barely know dies, and you you have a million dollars at the age of twenty two.
1: Yep. Mhm.
0: Wow. Yep. Wow. Yep. Now a lot of times, I, I think a lot of here's a here's a couple stereotypes I would say in general. You always read these things that lottery winners. Um, a lot of times it doesn't really change your lives long term because people who aren't used to having money just spend all the money, let alone a 22 yeah. year old kid. If you gave me a million dollars when I was 22, I would have spent most of it on comic books and alcohol. Oh, no, I had quit drinking by the no. time I was 22. It would have been on soda and candy.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, uh, um, Definitely not. And I think part of the reason why I haven't been that way is, I mean, there's so many reasons, but one of the reason being I came into money, but my parents did not. Mm. And so it's been a really confusing, like I'm their caretakers now, but I I, I walked this really strange line where like they don't know how much money I inherited. It was my dad's brother who left me everything. And with this very specific, like cruel note in the will that he didn't trust my dad with money because of his schizophrenia. Um, and so I'm, I like have sectioned it off. I like immediately, I like sectioned off and I came in with a million after I had already like given a shit ton away, to be honest with you. And sorry, Sally. Yes. But like I, um, I, he had a, He had a spouse that wasn't given anything and I had to give, of course, I gave like half to her. Um, And then it was very confusing because I felt like um, I had to make these like moral judgments about like, I was given this money, but do I deserve it? And I was like, I had to struggle with that for a really long time. Um, And yeah, so I just kind of decided that like my parents bless their hearts, they're amazing, but they are bad with money. And so if I want them to have any sort of like safe, successful, like later lives, like I'm going to have to be the one to dole it out. That's just the fact of the matter. So, so I just, yeah, I I portioned out a good chunk of that for them that I consider their like emergency slash retirement money that I just like give them every month. But it's so confusing because they don't know how much money I have. And so they don't know, and i don't kind of don't want them to because i don't want them to feel estranged from me in any sort of way. I don't know how else to explain that
0: no, I get it I get it it's uh it's a situation where people if people on you know if 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 people who are historically not responsible who also have this connection with you who um find find out that there is this uh money that to them might feel like a limitless resource it's going to become a factor whether anybody wants it to or not that knowledge is going to lead to you know conversations being changed by it i would imagine at least subconsciously
1: yeah for sure and like i mean already we had like role reversal issues because you know, my parents were leaning on me emotionally and psychologically for a really long time. Like, if there was an emergency, I like, I just snap into action to fix it. Like, always, always. And that was before there was money. And now with money, it's even more so, like, my dad had to be hospitalized um, this year. And it was just like, yeah, I don't know. It's just like I had to call. Literally, I'm in a different state than them now. And I had to call the mental health pickup for them from out of state um, because they just don't, they just, they're not great at responding to the emergencies that pop up. And so now there's this extra money piece obviously that I can give, which is amazing, but it does, it feeds into this role reversal. thing, And I don't want it to be
0: too extreme. So you may have mentioned this, do they know you inherited any money at all and they just don't know the amount? Oh yeah. So they know you have. Yeah, they did.
1: I mean, okay. Yeah. No, they know, they know that it's a lot, but I, but I think because I'm talking like, I'm just trying to like emphasize the the level of poverty because I think that sometimes I think poverty is different in different places. And, you know, what people see as poverty in their hometowns is, is you know, it varies. Um, I'm talking about my parents couldn't give me like five, $10 if I was in an emergency. Like I'm talking like, <laughs> no money, and so I think they know that I have a lot. Um, but I'd rather let their imaginations and their scope of money imagine how much, rather than like yeah. blow their minds. So you with this like unfathomable amount.
0: So were you were you growing up as a kid? Were you in a situation where it's like, all right, I hope that we have food tonight. Like, are, are we going to have food at the end of the oh, week? Yeah. It was that. It was hand to mouth.
1: Yeah, it was very like. Yeah, I mean, there were huge um, peaks and valleys, but there was a huge portion of my life where we we relied on something called like a nuns' pantry, where it's just like free food, and we weren't in church or anything. But we would like I remember driving all around our town for the different free food boxes that you would get um, from different charities. And usually, I remember it being called the nuns' pantry. And like some of the stuff was rotten, some of it was good. Um, but yeah, that's mainly how we made ends meet
0: when things are rough. Wow. I got to say, here's my first reaction, and so many questions, obviously. Here's my first reaction, though. Kudos to you. That's, I mean, as I said, to get that amount of money when you're young, you're 30 now, even 30. If someone handed me a million dollars when I was 30, oh, God, 2012, I, I would have been dead I would have been dead with the way I was behaving at 32. (laughs) If I had that money, oh my God, the amount of Adderall I would have bought that one summer. But we don't need to talk about that summer. Anyway, (laughs) the amount of responsibility you showed and that you're still showing is, uh, is incredible, especially when it sounds like you'd be within your rights to maybe have some feelings of bitterness. It certainly sounds like your uncle had some strong opinions, and it sounds like he wasn't even the one in the line of fire. You were, so kudos to you. I don't know how you've had such a head on your shoulders about all this?
1: I mean, I think a lot of it comes down to identity, right? I mean, it's the same thing that I was saying. Like, if I didn't have some romanticized version of, like, my ideal self that did not involve money, in fact, was, like, appalled by money, I think that I would have done the same thing. But also there's another funny story. Like when you are 22 and you inherit a million dollars, like people cart you around to a bunch of different lawyers to like scare the shit out of you. And it was very funny. Um, it's like a cartoon sketch, to be honest with you. It was just like people like being like, now lady, like just want you to know that some people buy islands and then they lose everything. So I was just like, okay, I know I'm not going to buy an island. <laughs> have you,
0: do you like, okay. have you, have you invested it? Do you work with financial managers and all that?
1: I do. It's been, like, a really long, slow process of um, being more willing to, like, look at it and, like, manage it myself because for, like, I just want to express, I know part of the reason I can't talk about this is that, like, boo-hoo, Crimea River, I inherited a million dollars, but it was a major identity crisis, and when I first found out, I was on the phone, I was driving, Um, I was in Florida at the time, I literally just pulled over on the side of the road and, like, sobbed for hours I just sobbed because it's just like I think when you try when you're trying so hard to ascend the right way it's almost like a big slap in the face when it's like no that's not how the world works it's random like this is how money works like you I had to take a semester off of my really prestigious school that I loved to just work and like make some money because I had like a three-quarter scholarship um, and I just was like really struggling to make the last quarter and I had to take a semester off and it was just like all my like wishes and dreams were answered, but not by me. It was just like this weird random thing. Um, so yeah, it's like, it's an identity crisis problem.
0: Yeah. I will tell you, I have had, I have not had the extreme swings. I I never, I never lived in poverty and I was never handed a million dollars out of the blue. I will tell you um, I, I grew up, I grew up, you know, my grandparents were Irish immigrants, um, second generation, very working class part of my town. I was a down the hill kid, which you, even if you, you, I, I don't even need to explain if I'm from the section called down the hill of town, everybody knows what part of town that is. And you grow up, you grow up. And if you're, if you're at that certain point on the ladder, you look up the ladder and there is, like you say, a lot of romance in just disliking the rich. It's kind of... yeah. You kind of bounce yourself off them and go, okay, I'm not privileged, but I'm a harder worker. Uh, uh, you know, I'm putting my head down. I'm real. I'm gritty. Those people are fakes up there. Those people don't know what it struggles. And then this is a true thing that still blows my mind. My father worked at a pharmaceutical company uh, for many years. And the pharmaceutical company used to give people stock options as bonuses. And in my memory... People used to be like, "Just give us money. Why are you giving us stocks? It's dumb." And get they get mad about it. And then the pharmaceutical company in the late '90s released a product called Viagra, and as you can, <laughs> as you can imagine, the stock rose. We all remember that that was yep. a bit of a cultural sensation, and everybody cashed in on these stock options. And there were guys who who you know worked at the at the warehouse who drove forklifts for 40 years and they cashed out, they became millionaires. And I remember, I remember my parents moved to a a different town and the house was nicer. And then we had more breathing room and I had to reconcile, oh, my family has bumped it up a few notches. And I know what you mean. It sounds like you went from one extreme to the further extreme and kind of bypassed both levels. I was at, but that identity thing of like, wait, I went every day in high school, I would see the rich kids and I'd go, huh, oh, thank God I'm not that. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't say I'm a rich mm-hmm. kid, but all of a sudden things are easier and maybe, I mean, was I wrong? Are they people too? And also, can I be this like guy with a chip on my shoulder anymore? I had to kind of find yeah. that chip on my shoulder again. We've had some similar experiences.
1: Yeah, for sure. I feel like the chip on the shoulder is such a superpower. Like, I feel like to anybody (laughs) listening who's like, where's my fucking rich uncle? Like, that shit is powerful. That chip on your shoulder, like, if you don't wield it in an unhealthy way, like, that is just, like, and I'm trying to figure out, like, how to find that grit and that drive in me um, without it. But it's just, that can, it can take you so freaking far It's amazing. It really is amazing. And I feel like, unfortunately, because, you know, like many of your listeners, I'm a creative person. Creativity with money is so fucking confusing. It doesn't make any sense, to be honest with you. Like, I'm having such a hard time because all of my interests, um, I went back to grad school again for a different um, um, artistic discipline, did well, amazing, everything's great, but, like, I just don't have the same drive to succeed it's so sad
0: wow this is officially the point where I bet a lot of listeners are like boo-hoo like I, I could hear it yeah, in yeah, everybody's yeah, yeah. heads at that <laughs> yeah, exact yeah, moment, yeah, for sure which is not and I agree
1: that's why I, yeah I agree totally that's why I don't talk to anybody about uh,
0: it I don't mean I, uh, <laughs> I don't
1: talk to anybody about it
0: That's what this show is all about. Talking about the things you do not talk about publicly. 100,000 people listen. That's what this show is. Speaking of this show, it's brought to you by advertisers and sponsors. They have products. They have services. Maybe check them out. Maybe they're for you. If you like them, use the promo codes. Helps Beautiful Anonymous when you do. We're back later with more phone call. I will tell you guys, I tend to uh, burn the candle at both ends. I work hard. Got a few different jobs, as you guys know. Sleep is a thing that for me. It's a commodity. I need my sleep to be good. I need to feel well-rested every day. Luckily, I upgraded my nightly routine with Brooklinen. I got Brooklinen sheets. They're amazing. Definitely the best sheets I've ever owned. They're just a, a next-level product, a, a very discernible step-up. And quality that's what i would say about my experience with brooklyn and sheets they're named the winner of the best of online betting category by good housekeeping brooklyn is the fastest growing bedding brand in the world boasting over 20,000 five star reviews i'm not talking four stars i'm talking five stars okay a lot of colors and patterns you mix you match complement any decor And it's not all marked up. A lot of betting, it's getting marked up like 300%. There's no unnecessary markups and fees. With Brooklinen, it's luxury betting. It's underpriced. You got to try these sheets today. I can tell you that I love mine. My Brooklyn sheets are the best, most comfortable sheets I've slept on. Brooklinen.com has an exclusive offer just for my listeners. Get $20 off and free shipping when you use promo code BEAUTIFUL at Brooklinen.com. Brooklinen is so confident that they offer a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and a lifetime warranty on all of their sheets and comforters. The only way to get $20 off and free shipping is to use the promo code BEAUTIFUL at Brooklinen.com. That's dot ncom Promo code BEAUTIFUL. Brooklinen. These are the best sheets ever. Thanks again to all of our advertisers. Now let's get back to the phone call.
1: Yeah, I agree totally. (laughs) That's why I don't talk to anybody about
0: it. I don't mean, I, (laughs) I don't
1: talk to anybody about it.
0: And I hope as you and I talk, you know, I'm not trying to invalidate your feelings at all. But that is the official line when someone hears the, when someone hears the sentence, making art with money. Man, is it confusing? There are a lot of people who listen to this (laughs) who like work in auto plants or work in retail jobs who are like, Oh, oh, is it, is making art (laughs) when you already have a million dollars tough? Is it? Yeah. Really? Because my manager yells at me, and that's tough too. But you get that. <laughs> you get. And again, yeah, I do. I'll tell you. I do. I'll tell you again. Me opening up a little bit. Uh, again, not a million dollar swing. When uh, a couple of years ago in my life, I, w- I had a public access TV show. That's what I had. And then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. that TV show got on cable, and this podcast blew up the same year. Similar thing. I did not find that it was. I always, I'll always have the chip on my shoulder and I'll always be able to make my art. But I will say, as someone who had a reputation as an underground guy, all of a sudden I had money, which also meant I had money to lose. And that's mm-hmm. been a struggle for me. I think my chip on the shoulder was already really firmly established. My momentum as an artist was, was really established and strong. But there was all. it hits that point where you're like, oh, but now I'm making money. Am I going to alter my choices to try to maintain making money? And I went through that for a while. And I'm happy to say, I'm, and a lot of this is because of my wife. If we lost all our money tomorrow and if all these jobs dried up, she'd die in the gutter with me. So that gives me a lot of strength to yeah. just go, I'm just going to ignore that money and for sure. invest it. And if I have kids for someday, sure. they can have it. Good on them. Hey, but before we move on, because I want to talk about that. But I do want to know what was your uncle's deal?
1: Who's this guy that you yeah, barely knew, uncle? left you all the money?
0: Who's bitter to your dad and his own wife?
1: Yeah, so I, um, my uncle, my both of my parents, they grew up. um my 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 dad and his brother. They grew up in like California coast. Like they had money. My dad's dad was a jag. Um, during World War II and was really successful afterwards as a lawyer. And his mom was like crazy, brilliant. Um, She like, I don't know. Anyways, they had money. They both had money. And I think that like my dad, and it's like just really interesting um, the way we build, I think, identity stories around class, even in the U.S. Where Well, maybe especially in the U.S. But like my dad kind of broke the cycle of wealth he kind of broke out of it um, by basically just by being not necessarily that he didn't want it, but he's just a really sensitive individual and he actually had like trauma induced schizophrenia. He had a really bad um, motorcycle accident when he was in, um, he literally, this is kind of fascinating. He was in his like final semester of his PhD for psychology when he was um, institutionalized, wow! Um, so, yeah, A psychology so of all anyway, things. Like he, what's that?
0: The it's like there's some bitter irony in it being psychology, huh? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, for sure, for sure. And uh, yeah, so then he was um, he was institutionalized, um, and he kind of broke this elite, I guess identity that my that his family had and he like drove out to the middle of nowhere southwest um and I think that you know when he was going through his his like biggest episodes I don't know all the stories because my dad is my mouthpiece into this situation my uncle only talked to me about it a couple times but like my dad when um there were a couple times where he would have an episode and you know be scary and I think he punched my uncle once and I think he just, like, my uncle just, like, didn't get it at all. Like, not at all. He didn't. There was no understanding of schizophrenia, and I think that he just saw it saw my dad in, like, a really stereotypical threat kind of way. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then he gets older. He's got this family money. Does he not have kids of his own?
1: He does not. He was, like, what I would describe as, like, the 40 year old virgin that you're like, I'm pretty sure that this is the 40 year old virgin story. Um, and then he met a partner like really late in his life. They had only been together, I think like six years when he died, but it was like finally his first partner, I think.
0: Wow. How did he like, pass away? He died. What's that? How did he pass away?
1: Um, Yeah, it was kind of a fluke accident and he had a blood clot in his leg and it, they went to the emergency room, and one nurse came in and was like, oh, is he allergic to blood thinners? Um, and his partner was like, no, I don't know. He's never had any before. They were like, okay, well, we're going to give this tiny test shot before I give the vial. And the next nurse came in and gave him the vial, and he died. Um, from an allergic reaction.
0: Oof. That's, uh, <laughs> that's a shitty way to go out. You that's aller- pretty bad. You allergic to this? Let's find out. Yep. That's a a pretty, sorry to be insensitive, but that is, that is one of the most, no, it's true. Cut and dry, senseless things. So he hasn't been with the partner so long. So the will is set up to protect the family still. And then you get the money, even though you weren't that close.
1: I think it was kind of, I think part of the confusion too, I think it was like an emergency will. Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't super thought out. Like, you know, there weren't too many moves in it. I think like you might make, to be, make it a little bit more complex if it was something you were really planning and thinking about. Yeah. Um, so but I think I, that's just how it worked out. I had to just divide it up the way I felt was correct. And I still, even talking, saying that sounds shitty because, like, how did I still end up with a million dollars? That's kind of like my own choice.
0: Ugh. No, but, I mean, it sounds, you know, you can beat yourself up all you want, but you said you gave about half of it to his partner. I mean, this is this is person who... Mm-hmm. A 22 year old, again, a 22 year old person, you did the right thing. You did right by her or them. I don't want to make assumptions. Yeah. That's pretty, uh, it
1: was that's pretty her, incredible.
0: the yeah. woman. Yeah. So you did right by her. Now, okay, let's be honest. Um, you get this cool million, you're taking care of everybody else. You had an upbringing that I, I would imagine the fact that your upbringing was what it was makes you even maybe ultra responsible. It swings you in that direction. You got to treat yourself a little bit, right? Do you not go out and get like some, uh, I remember my, my, when I, I, I got a sitcom job in 2010, I went and bought prescription sunglasses for the first time. That was my big treat to myself. I, some, <laughs> I never had sunglasses in my life. We, we, well, you had to have done one 22 year old thing with the money, right?
1: I I mean, I guess the 22 year old thing I did, I don't know. I don't know. I just like, it makes me so nervous. Like this, this sense of not deserving something is, is pretty intense. So like I had best friends um, living with me because it's college. And I like, even just like, I think I gave each of them $10,000 and helped them invest it. So confusing. It was a really confusing time. Um, Giving away 10
0: grand at a clip to just other (laughs) college
1: kids. (laughs) well my best friend not just everybody not just everybody but um that's yeah it's, it's still
0: a little bit of a freak out move though right so and you're describing it as a way where you got all this money and you're like oh uh, here you you do we want ten thousand dollars so i don't have it
1: well yeah i mean yeah but also i knew that there's this like sense of impending doom that at some point it was going to feel normal Right. At that point I still knew that like this doesn't feel like my money yet. And yeah. so if I wanna do anything super generous, I'm gonna to have to do it now so that it doesn't feel like as much money. <laughs> right? You tell me,
0: so, me you never went to a visa. <laughs> you never took one weekend to Berlin just to see what Berlin was like. Portugal isn't Oh, Port-
1: for sure. I think travel I think travel is definitely the way that my life has changed most with, with the money. For sure. For good. sure. That's but cool. not extravagant. Like, like I don't, I, I can't like pinpoint an extravagant trip that I took on purpose because of the money. <laughs> but like places I went to, yeah.
0: I love it. I love what this is turning into because we keep saying you're like so well aware that regular people listening to this who didn't get a million dollars are going to listen to this. But I like that this is the real, in, in everybody's fantasy vision, it's like, oh, I would go, I would live fancier. I would get this. I'd get nicer clothes. I'd start doing this. I'd go to clubs and have access to all these places. And it's like, no, this is the real world version. Here's what happens. I went from poverty yeah. to a million dollars and it filled me with anxiety, weird guilt. And I just have consistently freaked out and tried to give it all away. That's what's led to.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the truth. And like, think about how weird, I mean, 30s are such a weird time because everybody's like establishing themselves in their careers. I think that people are starting to make really big milestones of their own effort, like their first house purchases and stuff like that. Um, My partner and I bought a condo because we had money. Um, And I feel like people treat it as like, wow, congratulations, you could buy a condo, like based off of your your effort. (laughs) Like, oh, fuck, it's not, it's not off of my effort. Yeah, but um, you still bought a condo. I don't know.
0: This, this is the this is the real back and forth with you, huh? We were like, no, the condo's not from my effort. Whereas with a million dollars, I don't know what section of the country you live in now. Are you still in the Southwest in any way?
1: No, I'm not in the Southwest. I'm in the town where I got my masters. Um, it's like a mountain town. I'm, just, I'm in Colorado.
0: No matter where you are, a million dollars, you don't need. To, you could go. You could go have like a house up on a mountain with a whole bunch of land. And you're sitting here Oh, like, for sure. Yeah. And you're like, no, I bought a condo and I don't even deserve the condo.
1: Wait, let me let me add doubly to this. And I'm going to I'm going to out myself I, for very, very close people. Well, but maybe that's it. I mean, that's the really scary thing is that, like, I think a lot of people call into the show and it's like, fine, if really close people recognize you. It's not really the same for me like no like even my best friends who are gonna hear this are gonna be like shit i didn't know any of that it's fine i guess but um look at that but <laughs> yeah but but my my um boyfriend of nine years after we had been together maybe three years at this point when this happened to me um no i guess just two something like that we've been together at, at, we had been together nonetheless And I didn't know his financial situation and his dad, his dad is an immigrant from and he was killed by um, a sheriff running a red light uh, when he was in high school. And so he very similarly inherited money all of a sudden, um, partially from a lawsuit against the state and partially because he was a surgeon and he had money. And so we're both navigating. I mean, I'm so grateful for him for many, many reasons, but he literally <laughs> same exact situation as me.
0: Wow! <laughs> what a lucky thing that you're with someone who is weirdly experiencing the same thing. So what? A uh, yeah. Can I uh, do? You, do you like you go see? You ever go see a shrink? Try to sort this out.
1: Oh, of course.
0: Or you're like, of no, course. I'm poor. Per- I'm a poor person with the anger of a poor person. And a million dollars. (laughs) Help.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I mean, I have to admit, like, I'm highlighting this. I'm I'm highlighting this because I think that, you know, it's something I don't get to talk about very much. Like, I'm highlighting this in a way as if this is my main, like, truly my main, like, identity point. And that's not really true how I live my life. It's just like, it's the main piece of my identity that I don't get to talk about with very many people.
0: And I think we can all hear. Everybody listening, I think, is in agreement that you seem like a very good, humored, well-rounded person. And we can all agree that this makes for an interesting podcast. So thank you for that.
1: Yeah, I was like, I should probably talk about it in this format so that...
0: (laughs) You're not going to tell me about all the things in your life that don't involve a million dollars. Like, I know, I live a life that doesn't involve a million dollars. I can, I know what it's like to go on the subway and eat at subway and do everything. There's nothing that involves the word subway that rich people uh, ever come within sniffing distance of, huh? I just realized that. They don't take the subway. They don't eat at subway. I know what this
1: is. Oh, I eat at subway.
0: Look, that's why you're the cool millionaire. You're the chill millionaire. You're the chillionaire. <laughs> You're the chillionaire. <laughs> That's my new nickname oh for you. God. You're the chill millionaire, chilling in Colorado. So wait, let's talk about your art. Oh you had said God. you <laughs> Yeah, I enjoy it. Bask in that. You just got a dope nickname. You're the chillionaire. Enjoy it. Tell your boyfriend, he's the only other person you can talk about it. Tell him he can use it. A gift from I'm your, into it. A gift from your old pal Gethard to you. You're the chillionaire. <laughs> Now you had been going to school for music. You said you switched to another artistic discipline. Can I ask what that is? If you're comfortable.
1: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, yeah. It's fine. I like always. Um, so just as a little bit of background, I was always um, doing music performance. I played the trumpet. Um, And uh, always in the back of my mind, I was like, but I also just like, I love literature so much. And um, so I was like, double majoring in um, English where I could I, I don't really want to explain the situation too much but basically I, I came out with um, literature and German also as disciplines and then I did a—I earned a Fulbright to live in Germany for a bit to teach English and it just kind of sent me off back reminding me like how much I love to teach and I just love English so much um, and so I kind of decided that where, where I couldn't find some of the passion to like create as much I could definitely find the passion to help um Mm -hmm. so I I want to like yeah teaching teaching English is, is my jam
0: but I can I can connect some of these dots here you are you're this kid you gotta you gotta you 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 can see your your family had money and you know that but nope your dad had an accident and now you're uh, going from church to church to make sure you got enough to eat tonight. You play the trumpet. I bet you're in your head, you're blowing down that trumpet. You're like, this is not... They think this is an orchestral instrument. They think this is the rich person's instrument. No, I'm thinking of the jazz greats. I'm thinking of the people in the jazz clubs blowing <laughs> their souls, blowing their hearts out. I'm thinking about Kerouac riding around this country, popping into random bars. He came through Colorado too, watching everybody blow. And then you, you get this Fulbright scholarship. You're like, I grew up how I grew up, and I'm a Fulbright scholar. Screw that. I'm on this redemption tale. I'm the this. My mm-hmm. life is a Woody Guthrie song. My life is a Springsteen mm-hmm. song. Here's a million dollars. No, fuck. Wait, what? How am <laughs> I supposed to how am I supposed to be a Hemingway character if you hand me a million dollars? Fuck off. That's right. So, yeah,
1: it's true. And it's totally true. And like in a way, you know, in a way, it's I don't know. I think that there is some level of whether it's on purpose or not, like I think that there's some level of like having the lessons that you really didn't know you need to learn being shoved down your throat. Um, Mm -hmm. And I really, really misunderstood people who had money. I really did. I misunderstood it to a degree that's like extremely unfair. And that's something that I felt like I had to learn from the inside because, I mean, it's just like you said, like not only are they people too, but like this idea that, you know, life is just suddenly perfect and easy when you have money. It's just like absolutely hilarious. It's not true at all.
0: And conversely, not true at all. there's this weird thing that we all do, at least in America growing up here, where class defines so much and we don't talk about it, just like you said before. Mm-hmm. And there's this thing we do where I think uh, those of us who grew up, you know, I would say I grew up kind of right on the edge of middle class and working class. I was always very proud of that. Then you look at the people who have a little more money and you're like, man, you didn't work for it. You're looking down your nose at me. What do you know about hard work, this and that, blah, blah, blah. And then we all know, you know, I think there's a very public thing right now too where you can see that there's, you know, maybe... Maybe some people with wealth look at people with in poverty and go, what did you do to deserve it? What life choices have you made? You're trying to live yeah. off my welfare. There's just that lawyer in New York yelling that insane stuff. Oh, you guys speak in Spanish. Meanwhile, you you don't pay taxes. You want to live off the welfare that I give you, which is like you read about it for 10 minutes. You're like, that's not how that works. And it's this weird thing where it's like we all forget, you know, like you have the – you, you you always have this feeling that what you, you were born into, that the people on the other side of the fence are somehow, you know, have made their bed and they can lie on it. Or we, we can assume their motives. We can assume their motivations. We can assume their feelings on the inside towards everybody else. It's just this very nasty setup we have that's aimed at dividing us from the start. And it's a little weird. It's a little weird.
1: It's really weird.
0: Look at me, breaking new ground right there with my public declaration that classism is weird. Really, I'm a sociologist. I'm on the case with this one, real cultural commentator. Oh boy. You know what? I've I've broken the momentum here with my little dig at myself. Might as well get to some ads. We'll be back after this with more phone call. Coco Chanel. Martha Stort, Julia Child, you know these amazing women and how successful they are. But do you know their real stories? If you're a fan of beautiful stories from anonymous people, you're going to love the Great Women of Business podcast from Parcast, focusing on the little-known details. Great Women in Business explains things like how Debbie Fields started her empire at age 20 and how Coco Chanel was one of the first to understand branding as we now know it. With captivating, well-researched stories, each episode takes you through the harrowing journeys and struggles that led these women to greatness and teaches the business principles she utilized to the next generation of great women in business. The 12-episode series premieres June 5th. Find episodes on Brownie Wise, Martha Stewart, and Ruth Handler, co-founder of Mattel and inventor of the Barbie doll, among others, every Tuesday. Visit Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts and search for Great Women of Business. Again, that's Great Women of Business. Or visit parcast.com slash business to start listening. That's parcast, P-A-R-C-A-S-T, dot com slash business to listen, starting June 5th. Thanks again to everybody who helps bring this show to the world via your kind sponsorship. Now let's finish off the phone call. It's just this is a very nasty setup we have that's aimed at dividing us from the start. And it's a little weird. It's a little weird.
1: It's really weird. It's really weird. And like, it's so funny because I still feel like, I don't know. It's just like once, once I started maybe being more comfortable and like, maybe less like anxiety reactive about how I was dealing with my money and like that the honest truth being like like you say just like invest it and forget it to a certain degree except for like when I'm taking care of my parents or like when you know an opportunity arises I'm going to say no take it like take take this opportunity because you have the money and honestly that's the truth but I think that what you get to see is that what divides people is character, and there are people of good character with money and people of good character without, and that's just the fact of the matter. And there are still people who are super freaking corrupt, and having money like, really lets them do extreme damage. That's definitely true, for sure, yeah. but it's not all of them.
0: A, I kind of realized at a certain point, I don't think you should ever judge someone for something they don't have a choice in. And that goes in all directions. Mm -hmm. I don't think you should judge somebody who's born into being poor. I don't think you should judge somebody who's being born into being rich. I don't think you should judge people for, you know, how they look. I don't think you should judge people for the things that kind of handed off to them. I wish wish there was a little more understanding from the start on that stuff, you know? You can judge people for the choices they've made. You can't judge people for the random hand they were dealt. It's just not cool.
1: You know, cool. And like those random hands, they just go in all sorts of different directions. You yeah. so know, I think that people like when I, for example, just talk about poverty, something that keeps me extremely grounded is my parents, like they try their best. They're amazing. Like they are really hard workers. They try their best and they've been dealt like a strange combination of hands, um, including a daughter who can like now like help them and like bail them out of situations for sure like at the drop of a hat, but it's just like without me as this random um, money piece, they just can't, they like, they cannot make it work. It's so sad.
0: Yeah. yeah. You know, and so
1: just like you have to realize that like, you know, yeah, just like you said, people are dealt things that they can't, they cannot control. My parents truly, I promise you, cannot control their situation Yeah. in a way that would change it.
0: What a crazy life they've had, too. I mean, your dad had an accident that changed everything. Total random happenstance. And then his a mm-hmm. strange brother hands you a million dollars and you step up and become this like protector willing to, you know, keep them going. What a, a whole lot of random fate has uh, added up, especially for your dad, huh?
1: Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. You know
0: what's interesting about a yeah. million dollars? You know what's interesting? Oh, sorry to cut you off.
1: Oh, no, no. I didn't really have anything interesting. <laughs> <laughs> you know
0: what's interesting about getting $1 million when you're 22 years old? You're going to be alive probably, what, 50, 60 more years when you're 22. And a million dollars is a ton of money. I don't know if it's enough to get you through 60 years. Right. You still exactly. got to work. Still, you're you're not Scrooge McDuck. You're not like putting on a bathing suit and doing swan dives into coins. No. It'll last a long time, but you could, that could
1: dry up. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. I do think that that's part of, I mean, it's just like you said, like when you have money, there's anxiety of losing it. I feel like, uh, yeah, one of the main reasons I'm not extravagant is partially selfish as well. Like I, it's like, once you have something, you don't really want to fuck it up and ruin like that safety net. Cause I see it as this like safety net. One of my best days when I'm not feeling anxiety, like anxiety about it, it's like this really lovely safety net that most people don't get partially because I think personally that our country doesn't do a good job of providing safety nets, but I have it. Like I have this gorgeous safety net where I can try all the things I want to try, take a little bit of risk when it seems rational. Um, and I have this thing to like lean back on, but I want to have that for as long as possible.
0: Yeah. I tell you when, cause I, I, uh, you know, like I said, public access and the years have built. Here's my weird anxiety. I think you might appreciate this more. I, I don't think I've ever told anybody this. I don't think anybody knows this about me. When I started making money, I just stopped looking at my tax returns. I have no idea how much money I actually make. <laughs> I don't know. The first year that I was making decent money, I was like, I'm just not going to look. I'm just not going to change. 2010, I got a sitcom, and I was making so much money on it. I was like, I don't want to know. And I just kind of stopped looking. Like, I know that I pay my mortgage now. Once once I bought a house, I had to kind of look up. Like, I, like The past three or four years of tax returns, I had to go back and look at them to get a loan. And I was like, oh, I've done okay. All right. But I was just like, Ugh. I don't want to know. I just kept living in my <laughs> shitty one bedroom apartment with my other comedian, or two bedroom apartment with my other comedian friend for years. <laughs> it's like, I think yeah, I, I have, I know sure. I have a bunch of money in the bank. I don't need to know how much I actually make. I want to keep li- like you said, I want I want to keep living as this angry young comedian. I don't want to know that I have a little more breathing room. I got to make my jokes, man. So where's your art at? I said we would come back and talk about it. Where's your art at? So you know you're teaching now, it sounds like, but you're not doing your art as much. And this money has become a roadblock.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is confusing. I think that like I feel such a, I feel, yeah. Again, it's like good days and bad days, right? I think that, um, on my on my best days in terms of how I view myself in this situation, um, I don't know. I I really like Virginia Woolf, and she has a quote um, talking about how like you like essentially a woman needs money in a room of her own to create. And like I think about that, and I'm just like, I was given it. You better use it sort of thing um I was like freelance writing before I went back to school i kind of like finishing people's like oh ghostwriting is so fun <laughs> if you want to write and you want to make a little bit of money I was like finishing people's like deadlines that they couldn't finish so like these weird romance novels and like these like goblin stories of <laughs> like people's dream stories that they like couldn't finish on their own
0: don't say the phrase um, goblin stories like that's a genre we know <laughs> Don't pretend goblin stories is a thing. Goblin stories is not a thing. You're talking about I goblin guess I stories. I only
1: say that because I remember vividly a project that I worked on that was so strange and not my own taste at all. But it was kind of fun to pretend it was for like a month.
0: Well, that's the goblin story. You go through it because this, this is not a thing that there are so many of. Unless here's the thing that I've learned through this podcast, though. I'm about to get 150 tweets from people that are like, Goblin fiction is, I'm going to a convention tomorrow. How dare you be ignorant about the omnipresent. Goblin fiction has a long and storied history in both American culture and rooted back in Eastern Europe. You're gonna, I'm going to hear the whole history of goblin stories tomorrow. Goblins, that's like the next vampire. Is that like the hot, sexy goblins? Is that the next thing after vampires? True blood, but with goblins?
1: I think it was mainly, like, I I like to, for the creative side of ghostwriting, like, the stuff that's not just nonfiction, it's so often people who, like, lucked out and got some version of a publication date, and they thought that they could do it on their own, and they just can't. They just cannot meet their own deadlines. Um, So they turn to the
0: chillionaire. one
1: person's dream.
0: They turn to the (laughs) chillionaire in their moment of, of need.
1: I guess. I mean, like, there's nothing funnier than, like, not only like do I have money I don't necessarily need those jobs but like but like I also I don't know I'm just like an extreme lover of literature so I just felt like a little bit of an imposter <laughs> in a fun way I loved it I felt like like I was being bossed around by people from all over the country with maybe a relatively meager skill set but they were like trying to finish their dreams and it was just fun it was fun to help it was fun
0: so you'll get like a sealed you get like an envelope or a file and you open it up and you're just like grinning. You're like, yeah, I'll help you get your goblin novel over the finish line. Sure. <laughs> sure.
1: My favorite though, I ha- my favorite was I had to finish a sequel for this um, and I have to like, I've got to make sure I'm, I'm following my non agreement. Like, yeah. Okay. So uh, this woman who was self-published on Amazon, it was like a sequel to a romance. Um, and she just couldn't do it on her own. Um, and I had to emulate, I had to emulate this style that was so ridiculously bad, which I can't even express to you, like typos every other word. Like it was a romance novel that was like the chicken slid down his throat romantically. Like that's not even an exaggeration. And I had to write a whole sequel book trying to emulate this woman's first book. It was really hard.
0: And meanwhile, you're a Fulbright scholar. You're a Fulbright scholar yeah. who studied literature. I can see, I see your frustrations. I see how things have gotten mixed up in a weird way for you. Because you're dreaming of, uh, Yeah. you want to be the next, uh, who, who are your heroes? Who are your literary heroes? If you're such a fan of literature.
1: My literary heroes, I mean, like I mentioned Virginia Woolf on purpose. I love, I love, um, because of my interest in like in Germany as well. Um, I love the World War period so much. Um, I think a lot of really interesting things happen in art during that time period. And so Virginia Woolf, I love. She's on the earlier end, but Faulkner, I love. I love German writers that people are not so interested in. Like, I just love, I love people in that time period. And it's not even like, I can hear you like pushing me more towards like beat style um, writers. And I love them too, but it's just for some reason, the World War period. Just, I think it's so crazy. And especially... My, my background in music too, just art across the board just did this crazy expansion during that time when people's minds were blown about what the world was um, that I think is really
0: interesting. Hey, I'll also say this. I wasn't pushing you. I mentioned Kerouac
1: once. I'm not trying to push you <laughs> to be a beat writer. No, no. I didn't mean pushing like forcing. I mean, like, and... I can I see how, like, my story would be that way. I get it. That makes total sense. Yeah,
0: it's an American tale. So what are you going to do? What's yeah. what's your it, 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 We have 8 minutes left, by the way. You and I could talk all day. Okay. We got we got we got the uh, we got some conversational chemistry. We could talk all day. But in 8 minutes what what uh what's uh what's the plan? What's the plan? How do you capture your own mojo back? You're trying to be the next Virginia Wolf, and you're having a lot of fun jumping in on other people's projects and we're giggling about it, but uh I'm sure there is some you'd be frustrated if you didn't put your own thing out into the world, huh?
1: I would, I would. And I like, um, I think that now, I mean, something that's really cool about this lesson that I think that everybody, that a lot of people kind of learn on their own anyways, it's just like been my path to it. Um, I don't know if like, I think that the story of rags to riches, like as a work of art itself, like, I don't even think that that's the story that, we need anymore like people should still tell that story and it's true but it's like I, I kind of saw that as the only story like that American dream story um, and I'm trying to find a way I like to write I mean that's just straight up I've been published in a couple of different disciplines not super crazy nothing like that but like I want I think I really really my my big thing one piece of work one novel just like put it out there um, in a really honest way that doesn't Like, I think that doesn't romanticize my poverty in a way that I used to. That's really my big goal, to be honest.
0: Yeah. You know what one thing, you know what one thing I wonder if you'd agree with this? Because, you know, as as someone who has gotten progressively more successful, is very thankful for it, but who also has those feelings. You know what one thing I would take away from, for anybody who is listening, who maybe does have some artistic goals, and it's feeling the fear, the frustration right now. I wonder if you'd agree with this. There were so many times in my life when I was a young comedian, taking the train in from New Jersey to New York City, terrified in New York City. This is where the dream lives or dies, and everybody's fast-paced, and everybody's an asshole, and everybody's chasing their own dream, and they don't have time for you. And I'd go, do some shows, and I'd bomb, and I'd see people around me getting good, see people around me getting successful, and uh, and I'd sit and I'd stress, and I have so many memories of nights. Me and my friend Bobby Moynihan, who many of you guys know, sitting in this bar, <laughs> McManus, 19th Street and 7th Avenue. He was living at home with his folks in Westchester. I'm living with my folks in Jersey. Him and I sitting here like we were fucking imposters trying to make it in this city. Who do we think we are? What are we doing? What are we doing? This is depressing. And I look back and it wasn't depressing. It was the most beautiful time of my life. And I was too young and dumb to enjoy it. And now things are so much better in every way. But the fire is also harder to find. And I wish I had allowed myself to enjoy it more when it was hard. Because just because things Mm -hmm. are hard doesn't mean they're not also completely exhilarating and mind-blowing and fun.
1: Absolutely. I think the exhilarating thing is, I think that that is definitely the truth. I think that when you have less to lose, there is, it's like, it's a healthy version of recklessness. It's like, it's, you can put everything on the line at any minute. And almost like, it's almost like when you're creative in that space, like the world is daring you to. It's like, okay, show me how much you want it. Like, show me, show me. And it's, it's amazing. Like it is, it really, I know that it sucks and it's horrible when I got a chance to like really be an adult in that world for a really short period of time. But like that, when I look back, it's just like that is, I think it's the piece of myself that I'm the most proud of because when, when essentially when, when the world's handing you these difficulties and you say, fuck that, I'm going to try it anyway. I'm going to keep pushing. I'm going to keep pushing back. I mean, nothing, nothing feels better than that. Nothing and nothing, no reward is better than that, what you get after that. Yeah.
0: You were 22 and you had these plans. Then you get this windfall. Comes out of nowhere. You're like, man, I had like a solid 10 years left where I was ready to scrap. I was ready to find it. I was ready to fight for it. And now I don't have to. And that's one of the things about being an artist that I always say. If you don't really feel compelled that you have to be an artist, why the fuck would you? Because it's hard. And also, no one cares that it's hard. Great art changes the world. 98% of art is not great. You're probably going to land on Mm -hmm. that side of the fence. I do almost all the time. Why? It's so hard. Why do it? million dollars fell out of the sky. It smothered the fire out. You drop a million dollars on a, on a small fire, the fire's going out.
1: Yeah, and it's weird because, like, it was
0: still embers. Like, if
1: we're going to follow that analogy, like, there's still embers. Um, but it's different. It's really different. And I'm just trying to figure it out. I mean, I guess the answer to your question a few questions back is, like, what I'm going to do. I think that, honestly, I'm, I'm relearning what I want to do. I'm I'm like I'm trying to steal around and be as honest and vulnerable with what is the most fulfilling and meaningful way to be with art and creativity now. And when I teach, it feels like it's teaching, but when I write, I feel like it's writing. Um, and I think it's probably just going to be a combination of both. I don't know to what degree, but like man. Good teachers are what got me to that Fulbright position in the first place. That's what got me to a competitive um, conservatory. It's like good teachers really—they make a big deal, make a big difference—and they were they were the real variable before it was money. So I, I really would like to be that.
0: I tell you what, I think you're one of my favorite callers ever because you got an interesting story, <laughs> you got a good head on your shoulders, you got a sense of humor, and uh, I love that you're teaching people. And I look forward to reading your novel someday.
1: It'll be a goblin story. Make sure you look for it in the goblin aisle.
0: Oh, my God. It, when, I finally, when I read the headline, <laughs> that's like, the great American novel has finally arrived. And it's all about a goblin. I'm going to know in my heart who wrote it. I in- can't.
1: I can't. I can't take goblins seriously. I could take goblin seriously for that month, that one month's time. i was like, all right, you and me, goblins.
0: Got less than a I'm minute left. Do this. Forty-five seconds oh left. My. Can you just? Oh my goodness! Here's a question: What is a goblin? What's a goblin?
1: What is that? <laughs> just imagine a dwarf uglier combined with golem. That's how I would just def- define a goblin. People are going to brick me for that, but that's how I would describe it as someone who's not a sci-fi nerd.
0: So it's just like a golem, just a weird golem interview with a goblin doesn't exactly roll off the tongue the same way Interview with a Vampire does.
1: No, definitely not.
0: we got 10 seconds left, Chillionaire. Thank you for calling. Your final words.
1: Final words are, keep that fire if you've got it, for sure. Follow it. It's more powerful than you think.
0: Caller, thank you so much for calling. Thank you for being such a gracious caller with so much humor it's fun to talk to you really uh i think it's right you told us a story that everybody's dreamed about and the reality of it is just different thank you so much for opening up and good luck to you that novel i'll be keeping my eyes peeled thank you for calling thank you jared o'connell thank you harry nelson for uh all your help putting this show together the secret backbones of the show also uh thanks for coming to the chris kepp show office's me up there it means a lot thanks Greta Cohn and Reverend John DeLar for building this show thank you Shell Shag for the music thank you to everybody who listens and supports the show if you uh, like Beautiful Anonymous," guess what you can do you go to uh, Apple Podcasts you rate, review, subscribe it helps a lot more than you know I think that's all the business see you next time